edition of the Survival Podcast. There's always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. Times get tougher even if they don't. Today is uh, October the 4th, 2021, and this is episode 2967 of the Survival Podcast. I will be live streaming what I call the core or the heart of today's show, meaning no intro, no outro. That will be on YouTube, so you might hear during this podcast some interaction with the audience. I will include a link to the video version in the show notes today if you want to check that out at some point in the future. I was barely able to do this today. There's some sort of major internet outage today affecting many of the big sites like, well, StreamYard and YouTube and other sites. And um, I had so much trouble getting the stream to set up to work. I'm only streaming today on YouTube, not Odyssey or Float, though it may show up on Odyssey. Who the hell knows? Um But the copy will end up ported over to Odyssey after the show's complete. So just so you know, that's going on. Well, what are we going to talk about today? As I teased in my back Outback with Jack on Friday, 10 Steps to Restoring America. And I think we really need to start having this discussion, uh, well, a lot more. And we need to start having it a different way. We are not going to fix this with political solutions. It's not going to happen. This is primarily going to be a educate the people solution show today and not educate the people of who to go vote for. I don't think that does any good. I don't think and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to table the idea of not voting and no political system being uh able to function uh for freedom and liberty today. I'm going to put my anarchy on the shelf for the day and I'm going to assume that maybe there is a solution or at least maybe things could be better than they are because things were better than they are in the past therefore they 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 could be better again. They could be at least as good as they were. I think most of us would, would, would trade the way the country was was functioning in 1995 for the way it's functioning in 2021. I ask you guys all the time, can you take your ideology XYZ and for the next 20 minutes put it on the shelf? So I should be able to do the same thing. But yet I'm not going to talk about politics. What I'm going to say is if there is a political solution, it's not going to be because we select a different group of ass clowns. It's going to be because we have a well-informed, brave, prepared society making the decision of what kind of people to put into power. I still think it has its limits, but I think that there's nothing to be lost by building the country back up in the way that I'm going to talk about today. And I'll get to that in just a moment. Before I do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one, JM Bullion. As much as I push cryptocurrency, and I think the number one asset that everybody should own, like the one thing everybody should own is Bitcoin. The number two asset that everybody should own is gold and or silver. I believe that is the way to create true diversity in your investments beyond investing in the stock market, beyond investing things that are simply dollars. If you buy Ford stock, you're buying dollars. Whether you realize it or not, you're buying dollars that Ford's using. And if we're going to diversify, we have to not just be in dollars. So 
Gold and silver are high on my list of things to do to diversify your wealth. I recommend 5% of your net wealth in gold and or silver. I'm okay going as high as 10. I think anything higher than allocation is probably not really understanding the purpose of it in the first place, but it's up to you. But why get your gold and silver from JM Bullion? Okay, MSB members, you get a discount. All orders ship for free. They have better pricing than anywhere else, and I have a first-name relationship with the president of the company. And that means if you do have any problems, and you're not going to, but if you do, I can get Michael by email within minutes to make sure that your problem is taken care of. There's no one else I can say that about. I have been approached by Lear Capital. Okay? I have been approached by Atmex. Those are the two, two of the three biggest silver and gold houses in the country. Okay? Monex, Atmex, and Lear Capital, right? And two of them have approached me, and I've told them no. And the reason I told them no is when I said, I need, like, your CEO's email or your president's email or somebody like that. Somebody that, like, the buck stops there, no bullshit. And, uh, well, we don't really do that. Okay, then you don't sponsor my show. That's why Jam Bullion is here. So that's why you should get your silver and gold from them. You're going to pay less, get better service, get a discount, and get free shipping. I don't know why you would buy it from anybody else. Next up today, BulkAmmo.com, the other precious metal copper jacketed lead. Um, ammo remains in short supply. If you can get it, get what you can when you can get it. Build up that supply. I've been recommending that for years. Just like stacking silver and stacking sats, you should be st stacking racks, man. Like, I don't know what the word is we need for that, but we need something that, you know, uh, st stacking gacks. <laughs> All right. We should be stacking ammo just the way we stack these other things because it is an incredibly valuable commodity. It, when you can't get it, you can't get it. Even reloaders, like if you're not going to buy from bulk ammo and you're going to reload, you better start stacking primers. You better start pack, stacking uh, 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 powder because those have been really hard to get lately. So bulk up on your ammo at bulkammo.com. Remember, they also do a discount for members of the MSB. And with that, let's get on into today's topic about restoring America. Ten steps to do that. So with that, guys, I want to jump into today's subject. Again, we're talking about 10 steps or 10 things necessary to restore America. And as I said already, a lot of people would come at this and say, well, what we need is like a constitutional amendment for term limits, man, and all types of political solutions. We need to enforce our borders or, or whatever. And I'm not really here to say good or bad with anything like that today. But I am here to tell you that, in my opinion... We are not, and I mean we are absolutely not in any place right now that we can truly fix the core root of our problems by electing people. That, that's my fundamental belief. And then many of you that listen to me know I am an agorist, a voluntarist, an, uh, an anarchist. You, you call it what you want, whatever you're most comfortable with. But I'm going to do something today, and it's something I ask you guys to do for me all the time. And if you guys can do it for me, then I need to be able to do it for you. And that is I'm going to take my, my anarcho beliefs, I'm going to put them right over there on my bookshelf next to one of my fishbowls. And they're going to be there when I'm done, and I will bring them back over, and I will accept that maybe there is some political solutions today. That maybe you guys getting people elected or whatever, maybe that'll help. Maybe that, I, I don't believe it, but I'll allow for it, right? I won't, I won't beat you over the head with an anarchy hammer today and say, you know, it's only, it's only my way or anything like that. What I'm going to say is... If you are going to have political solutions, the types of things I'm going to talk about today, these are 10 things that I personally believe can restore this country to be the great country that I grew up in. I, I mean, I'm old. Let's see all the gray, right? I'm old, but I'm not that old. 
You know, I grew up in, in mostly in the 80s. That was the time that I was a kid. I was a kid in the 80s, Gen Xer, spent most of my time with my friends out in the woods, on our bikes, like living totally free as, as a kid. But it's not that long ago. You know, you're talking 40 years. You're talking 40 years. You're not talking like, as back in 1928. Like, it's not like that, right? I mean, and many of you listening to me, you grew up in the 80s. And many of you, a lot more of you probably grew up in the 80s, uh, grew up in the 90s when we hadn't completely lost our minds yet. And, and I would love to kind of swap places like, and go back to the way the country was, let's say, in 1995. I, I'm glad we have all the new technology and all those things. I couldn't do what I do without it. I'm not talking about going back in time from a standpoint of platforms and technology and what have you. I'm just talking about the way the average person thought, the way the average person behaved. What it was like when you hired somebody into a job, how they behaved when you gave them a job, how they how they looked at it as an opportunity, like all of that. And I'm not saying it was perfect, it certainly wasn't, but man, I, I think most of us would agree it was better. And I think that we do need to look at the political side of this before we step into this today with an understanding of how insidious it can be. Um, one of the things I'm seeing coming around again is that we need a convention of the states and have these constitutional amendments. Okay, great. My, my problem with them is not that they wouldn't actually improve things. <clears throat> There's three constitutional amendments being proposed that I think would be a, a vast improvement. Even me as an anarchist. I, I'm not a denier of reality, right? I've always been open to reality. And so things like term limits... I think, would be beneficial as a whole. I think there's broad support for them. Uh, I think returning to a point where state legislatures appointed senators versus being directly elected, I think that would help. And I, I don't even remember off the top of my head what the third one is that they want to do right now. But I'm going to tell you right now, if we don't do the types of things I'm going to talk about today, it won't matter. It won't matter. Right now, your Congress and your president and your courts circumvent the Constitution on a daily basis. And they do it for one major reason. We allow them to. And we don't allow them to because they just have that much power. We allow them to because of who we are and because we live in freaking fantasy land. Okay? So what will happen, and this is why I say this is insidious, somebody will get this idea. Hey, guys, 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 what we need to do, we need to have like uh, a constitutional convention, man, and we need to do this and this and this and this. And then people start fantasizing in their little brains about how that will fix everything. So, as I said on Friday, where attention goes, energy flows. So, the, the energy doesn't flow into actually making that thing happen. It flows into, oh, that's the solution, therefore I can go put my mind on something else. Which, if that something else is concrete, maybe it matters. But if it's bullshit, like, you know, what how, can you get to the next level in a video game or something... Then, then it doesn't really help at all. It kind of lulls you back to this complacency of, well, eventually enough of us will figure this out, and we'll do this thing, and then everything will be super. It, it, it really, absolutely really makes me feel like I am watching grown-ass adults. You know, we're coming up on Halloween. I love the holidays, right? I say the holidays not because I'm anti-Christmas. I love Christmas is my favorite holiday of the year. I say the holidays because, to me, it's a season. It begins with Thanksgiving and feasting with your friends and family. It, it carries through in that interim to Christmas and every, you know, put the lights up and everything, and then you have New Year's, and then you kind of come back to work. And it, I kind of coast through the end of my years. I'll do it again this year. I'm not going to promise that I won't. I do it every year. I shut my business down somewhere the week of Christmas 
long before if it lands on a Saturday, and I stay shut down until about January 2nd or 3rd, and I spend all my time with my family. So when I say the holidays, I mean that. It's kind of like uh, like your step-cousin. Like Halloween is like the step-cousin holiday that fits in this time frame, right? So Halloween's coming. And I kind of feel like these people that believe we're just going to have all these things fixed if we just put, you know, 50 Ted Cruises in the Senate or something, um, is they're like grown-ass adults sitting in a pumpkin patch with Linus and, and it wasn't Lucy, the, the, the Sally, I guess, whoever, Charlie Brown's sisters, waiting for the Great Pumpkin, right? And they're going to wait for the Great Pumpkin to come. And I think that's why the political nature of this is so insidious, because it leads to this complacency that, well, since all the solutions are there, then I have work to do to get people elected and to vote like once every two or four years, rather than the work you should be doing on yourself every day. And that's what we're going to focus on today. And if, you do, if we don't focus on that, we have no hope. And I think there's a lot of people out there that feel like it's already too late, right? It's already too late. It's screwed. We're just done. This country is screwed. We don't have to stay that way. And, and I, I don't want to like make light. like If we just do these ten things, everything will be perfect. We have to do these things by the tens of millions of people. Not just the people listening to me today. Not just the people that will hear this podcast today. Like by the tens of millions. We need everybody taking this seriously. And that's why I pulled the politics out of it. Now, I think some people will make some of these political. But they're actually not. They're all concrete things you can do that you are better off if you do them than if you don't. And when they involve your children, your children are better off if you do them than if you don't. And I think this is a generational level problem. We have, we have had each generation, starting with the World War II generation, going into the boomers, going into the, the, the tweeners, which is between the X and, and, the, and the boomers. Some people call them boomer, two point, or boomer second level or something. And then you got Xers like me, the latchkey kids that raised ourselves. And then you got the millennials. And now we got Gen Z coming up. And each of those um, generations has progressively had something more stripped from a level of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and knowledge. And so it's going to take at least a generation for each of our generations to get back what we lost, and for some, you know, you're kind of on the way out. Like, I, I don't, I hate to put it that way, but one day it'll be me. In another 30 years, I mean, I'll be 80. I don't know, maybe I'll make 100. I don't know, but there is a point where kind of you're set in your ways and you can't change anymore. And so, if you're not there yet, good. Grab onto it and do something with it now and teach the next generation. And each generation, like, our eldest need to be working with like the next two generations down, helping them restore what was stripped off additionally. And, and this country was built on the idea, I want my children to have more than I do. And those words now are completely empty rhetoric. We say it, we even mean it, but our actions are not consistent with our words, which makes our words empty rhetoric. It doesn't matter when you say something that you mean it. It doesn't even matter that you believe it when you say it and that you mean it, and that you think it's going to happen. It doesn't matter. If you are like, I'm going to lose weight over the next four months, right? And you really believe it when you say it, and you say it with conviction, right? You stand in front of the mirror every day. I am getting healthy. I am getting lighter in body. I am getting toned. But you go to Krispy Kreme every day, and you eat a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts to start the day off, and you finish the end of the day with a pint of freaking, you know, Haagen-Dazs ice cream, you're not going to lose weight. Because even though you believe it, even though you mean well, 
Your actions don't match your words. So if we actually want our children to have more than we do, what we actually have to do is leave them something that actually gives them the next leg up so that they're building it so that they can leave something to our grandchildren and so our grandchildren can leave something to our great-grandchildren. We have to go back to the seven-generational thinking. What I want my children to have more than me means is I want them to have a better college degree. I want them to be you know, a higher level. Like if I was a doctor, I want them to be a neurosurgeon. If I was a bricklayer, I want them to be a construction manager or whatever you fill the blank with. That's, that's what we mean. We have gotten into, I've talked about this a lot recently, we've gotten to a place where people spend all their money until they die. And if they happen to leave something for their kids, great. And I'm not just speaking of inheritance in the conventional sense, though, with money. I'm speaking of if you've built a brand, can that carry on? If you've built a company, can that carry on? If you've built a portfolio of real estate, can that carry on? If you've built a portfolio of other assets, can that carry on? We're not doing this anymore. And it, 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 that goes back really hardcore to the New Deal and Franklin Roosevelt and when we took the gold away and we left a little piece of it and then Nixon completely just you know, taking that away. We've lost all of that mindset. But we didn't just lose it with money. We lost it with enabling the next generation. If you know, you know, I'll put it this way. My dad wasn't the greatest father, but he ran a tire station. I haven't broken down a tire with a tire machine in a long time. But if I walked into a, to a, you know, a Firestone or something today, if I just needed a job, if my whole world blew up, I could walk in there and go, yeah, I can bust down tires, change tires, balance tires, like, boom. Like, my dad gave me that, right? One of my best friends is a guy named David, and he's a licensed plumber. It's not really what he does now, but he has a plumbing license. It's part of all the other things that he does. He manages massive projects today. But what his dad said was, we're going to start a plumbing company together. I don't actually want one. We're going to start one. We're going to run one for a few years, and then you do what you want with it. But if you have a plumbing license and the knowledge of how to run a public plumbing company, you will never not have the ability to earn a living for your family. His father gave him that. And I, I would ask people that are like 30, 35 right now, hitting your prime, you're striving, you should really, what are you giving your children like that? If you're not giving them something like that, when you say, I want them to have it better than me, you mean you want them to have it better, and maybe you'll pay some tuition bills. But you're not actually doing anything to make that happen. And you're saying it because it sounds good, it sounds virtuous, and it's what you've been conditioned, and it's what you heard your parents say and your grandparents say, and that's what we just say. And it doesn't have to be those things, but if you're not doing something like that, if you're not, when you check out, If you don't feel that your children, your grandchildren, assuming you have them, can now do things because of you, what did you do to make sure they have more? And I'm not picking on anybody here. I'm just saying, this is the freaking mindset we lost. And if you want greatness in this country, if you want greatness in this country, you have to have that first. So here are some of the things I think we need to restore to this country if we want America to actually be great again. Because it's not going to be done with a freaking slogan. It's not going to be a jumble of filled auditorium of people chanting some bullshit. It's going to have to be done person by person, father to son, mother to daughter, brother to brother, sister to sister, community to community. If it's not that, it's fake. I can spin up a winning marketing message for any political candidate in about 45 freaking seconds. But it doesn't mean anything. 
just because it wins an election. So here we go. Number one, financial literacy. We need to restore financial literacy in this country. The average person in this country has no idea what the Federal Reserve is. And I'm not just talking about the fact that it's a private entity, not a government organization. If you ask the average person, when you go borrow mortgage, borrow, borrow money for a mortgage from a bank, what happens? They can't answer the question. I'm not even going to explain it today. I'll just tell you that they don't loan you money. They create money by your promise to repay. And if you don't know the full story of that, boy, you need to know it. If you want to see a true financial revolution, and all real effective revolutions involve finance, educate the people of this country to how money is created, how it's destroyed, how it works, what a debt-based economy actually is. And beyond that, I, I've talked about this forever. If you don't have a good financial vocabulary, you need to go to investopedia.com, you need to sign up for the financial term of the day, and every day you'll get an email with a word and a simple definition. It might be futures contract, right? It might be shorting a stock. It might be leveraged investments. I'm kind of stuck in one vein of the record right now, right? It might be collateral. It might be um, risk-based assessment. Like, do you know what these words mean? If you don't, you should. It's a criminal act. Do we send our children to school for 13 years in the hands of the state, and they don't even learn how money is created? They can't even answer the question, what is money? You cannot have a society that is self-sufficient in their ability to provide for themselves and their families, to invest for their future, right? If they don't even know what money is, and they don't, they'll never value money the way they should. They'll never understand it. And then they will become something that is very sad, and it's what most Americans are today, dependent. Because we don't understand money, because we lack this comprehensive understanding of what money is, we believe that there's one real way to get money. We go to work, and we do our jobs. And then we have to have a bank account, and we have to do things all in their set of rules. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, too. But we have this one narrow belief system. So if the government can decide that they want to take your money from your bank account, you have nothing. And if you live in, even if that never happens, if you live in fear of it, you can't be bold. You can't be decisive. You can't go out and risk take because you're afraid. Basically, your money becomes your life support. And it's like an IV going into your arm. And the government and, and your employer and just about every entity out there that has more power than you, the banks, etc., has a pair of scissors. And if you disobey, cut. There's a lot of things that can be done about it, but it has to start with financial literacy. And people have to understand how manipulated they are. You have to understand that the number one tax you pay is inflation. It's not property tax. It's not Social Security. It's not income tax. It's inflation. It's the fact that your government, through a private entity known as the Federal Reserve, which is all the banks, by the way, all the big banks are what the Federal Reserve is, takes value from the money you've already earned after you've earned it and after you've paid tax on it. We have to start there. And then you have to be literate as to economics and not AOC, I've got an economics degree, but I don't understand how a dollar works, literate. I don't mean you have to sound like you know what you're talking about. You actually have to fundamentally understand that so you can understand the myriad of opportunities that are out there. We should be teaching the basic concepts of money to children at the age of about 12. They're actually better able to understand it than a 25-year-old because they don't already think they know. 
You don't have to reteach them. You just have to teach them the first time. Moving on. We need to restore hard skills. Now, I've talked about this uh, for a long time, about hard skills. I even had a site at one time that we, we took a run at. I had somebody running it. They didn't really run it, but it was called Saver Skills. And I think we need to kind of restore the ability to do things. And, and let me explain what I mean when I say the average person by the age of 20 should have 20 hard skills. They're not going to learn them for the first maybe eight, ten years of their life, really. Some will, but most won't. So that's about two a year between 10 and 20. It's not that hard. And when I say hard skills, I am not only talking about things like swinging a hammer and building a house, right? I would say that today, computer coding and programming is a hard skill. But what I do mean is if you become a coder and you know five languages, you still have one skill, that's programming. Right, so I'm not going to take away the technical skills as a hard skill, but we need a broad portfolio of hard skills. You know, and if you can, if you can use, you know, hammers and saws and and and, and miter saws and, and 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 you know all the equipment that was in shop classes back when they had it in school, then you have basic carpentry skills. Right, that's one. So it's not I can build cabinets and I can frame a house. You have one. You have carpentry as a skill, and I don't mean you have to be a master. Right, our our quote of the day today, we're about to hit it, is uh, from Ben Franklin, but a different quote of his was a, a a jack of all trades and a master of none. I'm much more bigger on being a jack of all trades and a master of some. So eventually, you should develop mastery in a few things, but you should have this broad ability to do things that makes you number one. Remember when I talked about how they can cut you off, and it's like. Uh, scissors cutting an IV going into your body that's keeping you alive. And most people, if that IV is cut, within two weeks they're financially dead. If you have a broad array of skill sets, if you can, let's say, run heavy equipment, frame a house, and do basic plumbing work, like those three skills, I, I have a hard time understanding how you stay out of work for any real length of time. Now add another 17 to that. You know, and, and that's what we need to do. If we restore those hard skills, we stop living in freaking fear. Everything they do to control you is fear-based. And if you're like, well, yeah, and you're like, well, COVID shows this, you're right. COVID didn't start this. COVID revealed that everything is based on fear. It became anybody that didn't run away and hide from a virus with a 99.97% survival rate. Once they like watched it all play out, went, oh my God, it's nothing but fear, 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 fear. What you should be able to do now is look back at the last 25 years and watch how that eroded using the same exact formula. Fear is control. If you can make somebody afraid and you can claim to give them 1% more safety than they had without you, you can literally control them like a freaking robot with a remote control. And that's what's being done to people today. And the biggest fear people have is bankruptcy. And not just the legal form of bankruptcy, but not being able to pay their bills, losing their home, having their lives destroyed economically. Hard skills avoid that. And they lead to a lot of other things as well. Next up, we need to restore local food systems. Now, anybody that's followed me for any length of time knows I am huge on this. And I am talking about like being able to you know, grow a garden or grow your own livestock or whatever. But I'm really actually talking more about we need to be forming coalitions of the willing to be able to prop up local producers, livestock, veg vegetables, etc., all of it. Right? We need, what we need to be doing is instead, like not everybody's going to be a farmer. 
Not everybody wants to be a farmer. It's hard. And it's the thing that when you love it, you're, you get good at it no matter what. And if you don't love it, then you really shouldn't probably be doing it. But there's plenty of people that would love to do it. But what they need is a bolt-on marketplace. You can put together 20 people in your general area. I guarantee you somewhere within like 30 to 40 minutes of there, there's somebody that could be raising all the beef every single one of you need. And if he knew or she knew that that market was there for them, they would start doing it tomorrow. We need this to come back. And if we need to cheat to do it, if we need to use status jujitsu on steroids to make it legal or at least not get people put in jail or shut down, then we need to do it. Whatever we need to do so the government can't come in and say, well, you didn't slaughter that cow rider, what other bullshit they come up with. For your safety, we would rather you have the food that's not in the grocery store than the food that's grown by your next-door neighbor. Bullshit. No. No. Whether we need to do food churches, right? And I don't care if you're religious. You can still be part of a food church. Everybody believes that food is necessary for human consumption. And that we have a, and most people do believe that we have a right to decide where we get our food from. That's a faith. That's a belief. Food church. Done. Get out of here. Bye. We need to put in local, local um, like slaughter facilities even if they're really expensive to do it, or we'll be left alone, but make them accessible to multiple producers and, and multiple help, then we need to do that. I did a show about a year ago about a, 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 two, two guys that did that down near Austin. It cost them like 70 grand, but what is 70 grand if you, if you parcel that out among 100 producers that each have 40 or 50 customers? If we can't restore the local food supply, supply system, we're in real trouble in the future, guys. Because the food they want you eating is designed to make you sick, pathetic, tired, and compliant. If you think you should be eating patties made with soybeans and beet juice in, instead of meat, it's already it may already be too late for you. That is not how humans were designed to be fed, but we'll get to that later. But we need to restore local food systems. We, here we go. Nutritional education. We live in a country where the most pressing medical problem that we have, period, and I don't care what you say about the COVIDs, the most dangerous thing in our society today from a medical and health standpoint is one word, obesity. Obesity. And I recently read a study that shows that right now, for now, that 40% of people who develop type 2 diabetes will also develop chronic kidney problems up to and including total kidney failure. We now live in a society where there are about as many dialysis centers in a major city as about 10% the number of McDonald's. If you go to a major city and you count how many McDonald's there are, there's about 10, one, for, for every 10 McDonald's, there's a dialysis center. I'm not saying the correlation is direct. I'm just trying to get your head around that. Because you see the big golden arches everywhere you go. Every time you see 10 of them go, there's a dialysis center, there's a dialysis center, there's a dialysis center. And the number one reason people are on dialysis, type 2 diabetes. Number one reason people have type 2 diabetes, obesity. Total number of people that die every year in this country, and it goes up every year, of complications due to obesity, over 600,000. The number one comorbidity for people that are supposedly dying of the COVIDs, number one is age. If you're over 88, pretty much any respiratory inf infection can take you out. 
Sorry, it just is. I'll be 88 one day, hopefully, you know, and, and it'll be the case for me. But the number two, obesity. So even the COVID epidemic is obesity, is the number one thing that's killing people. It's not the only thing, but it's the number one thing. We need to teach people what good food is. And if you are being told by your nutritionist or advisor or whatever that you should be eating bread and fruit and pasta and potatoes in any significant quality, they are lying to you. They're lying to you. Now, I think you can build an okay diet with, with those things in it if that's what you really want to do. But we evolved and developed eating primarily proteins. And the most sustainable thing that we can grow for human food when done properly is protein. A cow eats grass. doesn't need corn. cow eats grass. What happens after the cow eats grass? The grass goes back. And the grass grows back more lush, better fertilized, and healthier than before the cow ate it. And every year that you rotate grazers through a grass-based system, the grass gets healthier and more nutritious, so the cattle that produce the beef become healthier and more nutritious beef. This was done so effectively by one of the most famous farmers in the world, Joel Salatin, that after like 20 years of rotating cattle through one of his farms, they literally had to go raise the fence posts because they built so much topsoil. They built so much topsoil that the fence was too low. Now, you really got to think about that. We're being told sustainable is plowing fields, dust up in the air. The exact thing that caused the dust bowl. That's our sustainable solution. You know what sustainable means? Barely surviving. That's what sustainable means. Barely hanging on. Regenerative solutions are animal-based systems. We can build these. We can build them in spades. And if we don't teach people that that's where their primary nutrients should come from, all you're going to get are more dialysis clinics, more dead people, more fat people, and more expensive health care. I'm tired of hearing about health insurance as though health insurance is health care. They're not the same thing, and if you believe they are, I recommend getting a filter for your, your, your tap water to get the fluoride out because you've become too susceptible to suggestions. You really have. I'm telling you right now, that does not work. It doesn't work. All right, next up, we need number five, self-defense training. I am not talking just about people having concealed carry permits, if that's effective, getting trained on how to use a gun and carrying constitutionally if you can in your state, like woohoo, we finally can in Texas. It only took us like 25 years longer than Virginia and Washington, for God's sakes. Now, I'm talking about overall self-defense. I'm not talking about everybody becoming a black belt, right? If everybody's super, nobody's super. I'm talking about basic understanding of how do you protect yourself. Because the first step in protecting yourself isn't being able to knock somebody out or shoot somebody. It's do not put yourself into a situation when you don't have to that can get you killed. That's step one. Don't go to stupid places and do stupid things with stupid people. Understand how a door lock works. Lock the door when you're home. Right? Think about how you park your vehicle. Look at where you're going when you park a vehicle and exit a vehicle to go into a store. Don't be stupid. Don't put like that's step one. Understand that basic self, uh, that, that, that basic awareness, the situational awareness mindset. And then, yes, you should learn about things like how to use weapons for defense, how to use physicality for defense. We should learn that we should, you know, there's places you just don't go alone. You don't go to stupid places with stupid people, but when you have to go to some place you really would prefer not to have to go, don't go alone. Take smart people with you. Take people who can defend themselves with you. 
And you, you know why we have to do this? Because they're not going to defend you. They're not going to defend you. We have prosecutors all over the damn country now not prosecuting theft, assault, you know, shoplifting, breaking and entering. The, the, the head prosecutor in Massachusetts that's now being appointed to a cabinet position or something like that has a list of crimes that she said she wouldn't prosecute. One is breaking and entering. Like, so they're not going to do it, but the other side of it is you still believe that they will. You know, call 911. Yeah, they'll come give you a report for your insurance company a couple hours later. That's what you'll get most of the time. I'm not, I'm not even beating up on cops. I'm saying the system is freaking broken. What does it good, what good does it do even if somebody breaks in your house, smashes a bunch of shit, takes a bunch of shit, cops come find them, arrest them, take them to jail, next day he's out with no bail, and a prosecutor says, I'm not going to, it doesn't do any good. We have to be able to defend our homes, defend our persons, defend our properties, not just because they won't do it for us so that we don't live in fear. Because again, every single, I mean every single thing that they do to control you is based on leveraging your fear. You know, it's amazing what you can do if you get somebody's finger in just the right hold where they can tell if I push just a little bit harder it's going to break, how compliant they become. Now the reality is they might even comply with something they'd be better off having a broken finger than complying with because of the fear of what's going to happen if I if I just wrench just a little bit more. When you have fear that the whole world will fall apart without them, then you believe that we need them. And then you do whatever they tell you to do. That shit has to stop. And it comes down first and foremost with being able to defend yourself, your family, and your property effectively. It takes a lot of fear away. And those of you who have gone through training and learned how to do it, properly equipped yourself, you know exactly what I'm saying. You know exactly how much better you feel. And I've had plenty of armed citizen stories sent to me over the years from audience members. Fortunately, no one's had to shoot anybody yet. But the fact that they were armed is why they didn't get harmed, right? Because when it became evident that they were armed, the threat decided, you know, I don't think we want to do this today. I don't, I don't want an extra asshole. I think I'll leave this guy alone. So we need that type of training and mindset. And we need to be teaching our kids all this stuff, by the way. Next up, preparedness of every family. I'm going to say, if you can't take the keys to your cars, throw them into a drawer in your house, put a time lock on it for 30 days, not leave your house, and not be completely starving to death and miserable 30 days later when the drawer opens and you can leave the house again, you're not being responsible. I don't mean to pick on anybody or anything like that, and, and a lot of people are new to my show and new to me, and maybe you haven't had somebody mentoring you in this stuff yet. You, you just kind of figured out, like, we need to do this. Maybe the pandemic was the wake-up for you. I don't know what was. So I don't really put people down, but it's still irresponsible. Now, you could be irresponsible and believe you're responsible. You understand that? Because you were taught a certain way. So what were you taught? Go to school, get good grades, take out student loans, go to college, get a good job with a good income, get a mortgage, get a house, pay your bills, go grocery shopping twice a week. Right? So if you did that, it's not that you're a bad person, it's just you believe what you were taught. If we had a country where the average family had 30 days of self-sufficiency, just 30 days, 90% of the shit that goes sideways, and when you see people on TV fishing food out of a garbage can, etc., wouldn't happen. And we teach people, what, you buy a new car, what do you need? Insurance. You buy a house, what do you need? Insurance. Right? 
Right? So you, your, your, your shelter and your transportation are worthy of insurance. We even teach people like disability insurance. If you can't work, you should have insurance if you can afford it, right? We, but God knows they keep telling us we need health insurance instead of health, health, health care affordability. That's crazy talk, but insurance for your health. Insurance, insurance, insurance. Like The one thing you absolutely need every day of your life is good quality food. Zero food insurance is taught in this country, in our education system, by our government, period. If you have more than three days stored up for your emergency preparations, that's what it says on, on FEMA websites, three days. If you have 30 days, you're a hoarder. It's insane. You should have a basic plan with your family. How do we evacuate if we have to evacuate? What do we do if you know your, your daughter that's old enough to drive, 17-year-old, going to high school, there's an evacuation order given, and she's at school. Does she come home? Probably not. Right? Wouldn't it be better for her to just go to a rally point you've already prearranged? That's, that's insurance that if some sort of natural or man-made disaster hits, that your family can get back together. No, screw that. Bullshit. We don't need that. That's crazy talk. No, we need that level of, of preparedness to be taught as a virtue in this country. You know what country's never getting invaded? Ne I mean, never getting invaded is Switzerland. Because they do this. You go break in a house in Switzerland, there's a guy in there, a, a man or a woman of military service age, you're going to get shot. You drop bombs on them, they all have shelters. They have food supplies set aside. Like, every new house has a shelter with it. I don't know if we need to go that far, but I mean, we could learn something from the Swiss, but no. No, that's all crazy talk. Live for today, get a MasterCard, get a student loan, it'll be fine. We have to start teaching this concept that we should be able to care for ourselves if we need to with zero systems of support at least for 30 days. I think 60 and 90 are better numbers. The beauty is you teach 30-day preparedness. person gets there. How do you get to 60? You guys have heard it before, some of you. Do whatever you did, do it again. Okay. Do it one more time, and you got 90 days of preparedness. If 90 days of preparedness can't get you through just about anything that happens in this world, you're weak on all the other things we're talking about today. So work on those two. Um, next up, we need, I know I sound like a bro broken record with this one, we need every one of us that can to take control of the education of our children. The number one way that each of these succeeding generations has been stripped of knowledge and ability and a willingness to stand has been our public education system, which is not a public education system. We do not have a public education system in the United States of America. If you go to Albertson's Grocery Store, they are a public grocery store. They are open to the public. You go in, you buy, they're owned privately, but they're a public business. You go in, you buy your shit, you pay for your shit, and you leave, and you conduct a free and open and voluntary transaction. Parents are being denied the ability to even go in and examine the classrooms their children are getting supposedly educated in today. No, they're government schools. Now, most people listening to me right now do not feel that it makes a lot of sense for government to do most things that government does. That there's probably a free market solution that's better than government. You know, when, when you go to mail something, if you choose FedEx or UPS or whatever over the U.S. Postal Service, you're making that statement. I get better service for my money with this competitor to government. 
But then we turn around and we outsource probably the most fundamentally important thing that we can do as parents to the government, the education of our children. I know not everybody can homeschool. Not everybody you know, has grandparents like myself and my wife who can take the kids in and let the parents go work full-time and do the education. But have you asked? Have you even considered it? Right? Have you asked the question, because this is something that's not in my steps today, but it's one of the most fundamentally important things that we need to teach a mindset of. Shut up with your crap about what you can't do. Right? And I'm not one of these believe, you know, if you say you can, you can. If you say you can't, you can't. There's some truth to that. But there's a lot of like hokey pokey, malokey bullshit in there, right? No, what I'm saying is the human mind is a computer. It's the most advanced self-learning and self-reprogramming computer that we know of in the universe. There's probably more intelligent beings than us somewhere, but as we know, it's better than anything that any you know giant tech firm has built. The giant computer that's actually a room of computers acting as one. We're still better. We're still better for now. And But that computer has rules. Any computer has rules. And when you say to your brain, we can't do this, your brain says, okay, okay. Well, we, then I need to spend all this power on something that can be done, right? But when you say to yourself, how can I? If you want to buy something, instead of saying I can't afford it, you say, how can I afford it? You might not even like the answer you get, but you'll get an answer in time. You might even forget about it, but those background algorithms are running. So the first thing that you need to say, if you actually think that the school system's damaging your children, and in case nobody told you and you don't know yet, they are. The government schools are damaging our children. They're damaging them psychologically. They're damaging them intellectually. So if you know your child's being damaged and you want them out of there, instead of being pissed off at me for pointing it out and picking the scab a little bit and making it bleed, have the damn courage to ask yourself, how can I get this done? What options do I have? Don't be afraid. Don't let that computer go to waste. Don't let that gray matter between your ears go to waste. You're wasting your, your brain power and you're wasting your dash when you don't ask how. Anything you want to accomplish, this applies to, not just this one. But this one is actually, there's so many solutions to this. I do not believe that anybody says, I can't do this, has examined all the solutions and then decided that they really can't. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I watched almost the entire country homeschool for months Whatever you needed to do so that you could, you have done by that point. Take your children away from them. Take your children away from them. These people are sociopaths and psychopaths. Not the teachers, but the people that set the agendas that the teachers are forced to indoctrinate your children with. They are lying to your children about their history They're lying to your children about the world that they live in. They're lying to your children a hundred different ways. They are abusing your children. If there was a guy next door physically abusing your child, who among you wouldn't, if you had to, bust a window out, go in there and crack the guy's teeth out of his mouth with a baseball bat if you had to, or worse? Don't let the state have a pass of doing the same thing. Abuse is abuse. It just takes different forms. Take your children away from them. They have no right to your children. None. And they believe that they do. They believe that they have more right to your children than you do. 
In fact, they really believe when you really read what they write, and that's how you know what someone thinks. What they say, you can get kind of carried away with emotion, you can be misunderstood. When people take the time to write things, not an email to a friend, like things that are published, believe them when they say what they say, and they say it all the time, that they have a right to your children, that your children are, in the words of one of the studies I read, a natural resource. No. To be blunt, fuck that. My kids aren't your freaking natural resource. My kids are my kids. You cannot have them. And we need as many people to think that way as possible. And really, really quick. Next, we need to teach entrepreneurship. Not everybody's going to be an entrepreneur. I don't care. Everybody needs to understand entrepreneurship. Because I'll tell you a couple things that would happen. One, when you found a local company that was providing you a valuable service... And, and, and someone else could do it for a little bit less money, you wouldn't care. Once you understood what it takes to be an entrepreneur, you'd be like, I, I just met uh, a lady and her husband. They're running a little winery about four miles from, from my property. Fantastic place. Just started. You can tell they put a lot of money into it. First thing I said, I want to run an event at, you, at, your, uh, at your place. And we started explaining kind of what we were thinking. It's probably going to be in March for those that want to come. It's going to be a really cool little shindig party. And details will come later. Uh, but I told her, I said, the main reason is I don't want you guys to go away. I want to support you. And I got some other things I'm going to try to work out with them. Why? Because they're entrepreneurs and I know what it takes. I know what it takes for someone to invest in putting a vineyard in in the area I live in. And that's local production, right? So I, I, I want to walk the talk. I want to mean what I say when I say it. And if, if we don't start thinking this way, we're going to completely come under the thumb of globalist economy. And trust me, you don't want that, friends, because the more globalist, I didn't say globalized. Globalized is great because maybe they bought their irrigation supplies locally, but maybe they got them from a manufacturer in another country. The fact that we can get things from other places, that's capitalism. Globalization is they'll tell you what you can have and how much of it and when you can get it. And you're starting to see a lot of that with the squeezes going on right now. Don't think they couldn't fix this problem if they wanted to. They're not going to fix it. So we need entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship also takes away the fear. Even if I do choose to take a job, if I know I can be in business, that's one less thing to fear. That's one less time I fear them cutting that IV cord of money that goes into my veins. Entrepreneurship is what made America great. It really is. There was a time when 90% of the people in this country were entrepreneurs on some level. It wasn't even that long ago. Because I'll tell you what, there was a time when like 70% or more of this country was, was in agriculture. And there's no such thing as a farmer that's not an entrepreneur. All farmers are entrepreneurs. You have to be. And all farmers tend to do things like, okay, I have my farm, I have my main crop of production, but they have t tons of little enterprises. Don't think when Joel Salvin calls it a fiefdom that like it's really anything new. It's always been this constant stacking. I have this resource. How can I make more out of it? From shop owners to manufacturers to consultants to whatever. We need to truly teach entrepreneurship in this country. And our, again, this is another thing. It's a sin. We send a kid to school for 13 years. They don't learn a single concept about true entrepreneurship in school, the school system. That, that we have our money robbed from us and our children taken from us. And the kid doesn't even know, right? There's only one way. I mean, it's, the, it's, it's conditioning and training and programming. Go to school, get good grades, take student loans, and go to college. 
right? Like that is the only path taught. There's no indication to a child growing up that there's another option. I have one of my farmhands here. I always hired young kids, you know, kids like, you know, sophomores, juniors, seniors in high school because I thought it would, it would be beneficial to them. And I remember I was sitting down talking to this kid, and I'm like, you know, do you like welding? He's like, I don't know, maybe. I'm like, there's a, there's a welding shop at the end of the road. They probably hire you and let you learn a little bit about it if you would work for, like, minimum wage. So you're just working to learn and get some experience with it. And mostly you'd probably be, you know, hauling boxes around or whatever, but they probably would. He's like, yeah, well, but that's minimum wage. I'm like, you know what? Certified welders right now are making, like, $80,000, $85,000 with one to two years of experience if they're good at it. And he couldn't believe it. And he came back after he went and did some research. He's like, holy crap, you're right. There's guys you know, doing welding in the oil fields right now. They're making like $150,000, $200,000. I'm like, just so you know, they're killing themselves for it. But yes, it's possible. Is that entrepreneurship? Many welders are entrepreneurs, aren't they? A lot of paths to entrepreneurship through welding. Is welding the answer? No. It's just an example of like, no one is teaching these children this stuff. These young adults this stuff. If you believe there's one path, then everything is that one path, and nothing else makes any sense. We need to start changing this, and entrepreneurship is a huge part of it. Learn to run a business, even if it doesn't succeed long term. Learn to calculate profit and loss. Learn to manage inventory. Learn how to market. Learn how to, like All those things, if you come to me as an employer, make you a more valuable employee. I know that you're going to have a, more concern than the average person off the street about my bottom line. You're going to actually understand, if I can't make money, you're going to lose your job. Most most people you hire, they don't get that. They just think companies have money. Trust me, I've hired plenty of them. And it becomes really obvious with the work ethic and the attitude who thinks that way and who doesn't. The person with the entrepreneurial mindset, even if they don't become a full-fledged entrepreneur, they make better employees and they make better citizens and they end up being better people in their communities because maybe they find a job they love. Maybe they're never going to really be an entrepreneur, but they, they're the ones that are like, well, okay, I can help out with the church group or I can help out with community gardens or whatever it is. And they take that entrepreneurial freaking mindset and they apply it to things that are like philanthropic. They're not necessarily donating money, but the organizing of actually getting things done, that takes entrepreneurial skills. That's why former soldiers and Marines, etc., are so good at it, because it's organizational, it's structural. And entrepreneurialism is that as well. Divisions of labor, understanding what do I outsource and what do I do myself? What makes sense to do that? How do I price my product? How do I find a customer? It's the same skill set. Entrepreneurship is what made this country the most amazing country in the world, that the world has ever known. I won't apologize for saying that, even as an anarchist. There's never been a country as great as America, ever, period. Doesn't mean our government doesn't suck. In fact, our government is a big part of what drug us away from it. But it was the entrepreneur that made it that way. It was the person that came here, that, that sold whatever they had, that bled from their fingers, that arrived in a place like Ellis Island or something like that. Like my, my great-grandfather, who was a barber, and, and, and made a start for his, his sons, like... Those people built this country. My, my other grandfather, uh, his, his dad came here and, and, and built a farm in, in, in up, upstate Pennsylvania. These are the people that made this country really great. And there's nothing that they can do to stop you from doing this. I don't care. People tell me all the time, well, they won't let me. I'm like, you haven't tried. How do you know? I don't have to know. I just know. 
I don't have to have any evidence when you tell me they won't let me as to why you haven't established a business, I know you haven't tried because I watch people do it every day, and if they can, so can you, so shut up and get to work. Entrepreneurship. Personal accountability needs to be restored to this country, and that's going to be a big part of taking your children away from the government schools because they do not learn personal accountability in schools. You can't tell somebody they're disadvantaged by the color of their skin, and you can't tell somebody they're an oppressor because of the color of their skin and at the same time teach personal accountability. You can't do it. If you group people into homogenous groups based on their dialect, their language, their skin color, their sex, their preferences, etc. If you group people into these groups and say, if you're in this group, then A, and if you're in this group, then B, that negates personal responsibility. Absolutely takes it away. Personal responsibility is how you build meritocracy. When people know that they are the number one thing responsible for their success or failure is them, then you get a meritocracy. And I'll tell you what, when you build a meritocracy, you're not going to have a socialist state. I don't care what they do. I don't care what laws they get passed. Like, it's not going to happen. In many ways, right now, a lot of these countries we think of socialists like Russia, the former Soviet Union, etc. These people have more courage than we do. Because they grew up with grandparents who ran their own little businesses and fiefdoms and shit when Stalin was still around. And they're like, screw that. I'm going to feed my family whether they say I can or not. And, and we have become so complacent because we're so spoiled. But then we take the education system on top of it and we teach people, you are bad because, or you are, you are noble because, but you are incapable because. No. That's why the kids have to come out. But grown-ass adults, you have to become personally responsible. Whenever you talk about a failure in your life, if, you, if your first explanation for it is, well, I got screwed over. I had a partner that wronged me. With. That might even be true. You still chose that person. You chose them. And I guarantee you there were times through the, through the thing that you could have done something different to make it a little bit better, and you chose not to. We've all made those mistakes. It's, it, it's not about not making them. It's about owning them. It's about saying, okay, that didn't work. If, I, I'm gonna, if I'm going to try this again, I'm going to do it differently. Well, I'm not going to do that again, but now I'm not going to sit there and use that as an excuse for inaction or where I'm at. I'm going to go do something else. If you can fog a mirror, your mission on this planet is not over. So fucking act like it. Get going. Get doing something and own everything you did, good and bad. Make apologies but not excuses. One of my laws of life, you can make excuses or you can make money. You can't do both. You can't do both. You either go out and make shit happen and you, you build the life you want Or you go out and make excuses, and you eat the crumbs that they hand you, whatever they may be. And even if somebody someday gifts you with a bunch of money, you'll piss it away, you'll ruin it, because you don't have the financial literacy. You don't have hard skills. You don't know how to do things for yourself. You've never actually had money before, even if you made a lot of it, if it was always going through your hands. So it'll go through your hands, too. You'll never build generational wealth with that mindset. Personal accountability, personal responsibility. And the last one? and I've alluded to it a few times here, we need to restore generational thinking. True generational thinking. Not a cliche. Not something said so many times by so many people that it's just, well, everybody says that. You know, I want my children to have more than I did. Oh, horse shit. Really? What are they going to inherit from you? What skills do they have because of you? Like, are they going to have a home because of you? 
by the time you're gone? Not because they got a job and paid their own mortgage. Like, are, is there some legacy that you're going to leave them? And it, it, it could be different for different people. For some people, it might be cryptocurrencies, which I haven't talked about much today, right? Like, I don't have to. If you become financially literate, I think that you're eventually going to realize that you probably need diversification into that. But somebody else, it might be a precious metal legacy. Pretty good thing to hand down. It's in a box, right? When you die, all your kids get a letter. Your box is in this place. Go get it. Nobody needs to know about that except them and you and the fence post. They can do whatever they want with it. But if, then have you given them the skills, the, 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 the knowledge of what to do with it? Have you taught them how to properly use debt instead of how to improperly use debt? By the way, 90% of people in this country use debt the wrong way. Right? Can you use, if you, you should be learning like with your financial literacy how to use debt to avoid paying taxes on money that's actually income. You know you can actually do that? I can't explain it today, but it can be done. I've talked about it before. But that needs to be something that we build into our children. I catch myself all the time when I'm out like on property with my grandson. Less my granddaughter because she is five, and you're only going to pick so much of a five. But he's ten now, and I have to remind myself at times, what was I doing when I was ten? What was I capable of when I was ten? You know, I was like robbing my grandpa's nails and borrowing his saws and hammers and shit, and we were building treehouses and forts in the woods on whatever we could scavenge. Like, so if I can do that at 10, he can do that at 10. We were building ramps and jumping our bikes and busting our ass and all kinds of crazy shit. It was the 80s. Like, so when I'm out there and I'm doing something and I'm like, I just want to get done so I can get to, to work and do my, you know, my, my job, if you want to call this my job. Like, and if I start a little bit earlier, I'll be done a little bit earlier. And I'm thinking that way and I'm like, wait a minute, you're robbing him. And he, I'm sure he's not exactly overwhelmed sometimes when I make him do work or make him do tasks and make him learn things. But if I don't do that, he's right there. He's right there. I'm either going to take that thing that I know how to do and I'm going to give it to that kid or no one is. That's multi-generational thinking. It's not just about leaving a legacy of wealth or property behind. It's the knowledge and the skills that get left behind. And we have had that taken from us. Two, you know, two income families, mom and dad work all day, you get home, you feed your kids garbage because it's easy and it's cheap, and you just feel like, damn it. And a lot of times you're thinking, tomorrow I'll do this. Next week I'll do this. Next month I'll do this. No, you won't. Not until you make a decision that you're going to. And if you were thinking about your great-grandchildren, not even your grandchildren, You're, and you know when you should start thinking about your great-grandchildren? When you're 20 and you're not even married yet. Because that's what your great-grandparents did. Your great-grandparents and your great-great-grandparents, most of whom you never even met or saw, even as a baby in your life, they thought about you. They thought about you. They cared about you before you ever were. When they said, I want my children to have more than I did, it wasn't a cliché. It was, I want them to have it so that they can pass it on. Your great-great-grandmother thought about you when she was 14 years old. I know that doesn't seem possible, but she did. She didn't think about you, Tom, or Susie, or, or Billy, or, or you know William, or whatever. She thought about you, a being that she had faith would someday be there. That she knew she would grow up and have children. And that they would have children. And that they would have children. And if they weren't stupid that long ago, they didn't think, oh, there won't be technology games. They thought all that would happen. When they said they wanted more, they didn't mean that society would give it to them. 
They meant that they would hand them everything they knew and everything they had and say, take this and build with it in the future. If we're not thinking seven generations out, then we're happy to kick the can. We're happy to make the deal with the devil. We're happy when the government gives us some money, right? Even though we know our great-grandchildren are going to pay it back. We're happy to do it all because, hey, things will get worked out. Things will get worked out. Somebody will invent free energy or some shit like that. Everything will be fine. It's very seductive. If you're actually thinking about your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, before you're even married, there's no way they can make this country what it is today. If you had 14- to 18-year-old kids, and I'm not talking about not sowing their oats, not going out and being stupid, not having fun. I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm just saying if they were at least considering... One day, there'll be someone that I'll wish I had lived long enough to know. And I already love them. Before they're ever born. You can't have a country that's as screwed as we are right now. Because people won't allow it. Every single thing they do, in the end, is because collectively we allow it. We allow it. When the COVID crap started and they were shutting down beaches in California, there was a particular beach, and people just decided, California, we're going to the beach. And eventually the city council said, well, we guess people just don't want to be governed this way anymore. You think? You think? No, we don't. And if you build the society back with that mindset, there'll be a lot of places where the government will just say, well, I... I guess people don't want to be governed that way anymore. And how are you going to get your enforcers to enforce that shit? Because where do the enforcers come from? Your grandchild is a future producer or a future enforcer. And you have a lot of influence on how that happens. We shouldn't have enforcers. We should have protectors. I mean, even back in the 80s, that's what cops were. They were protectors. The local cop where I grew up, that guy could have put me in jail at least half a dozen times. And I'm being pretty conservative on that number of half a dozen times. You know what he did? He looked out for me. He had conversations with me. He told me I was better than that. Eventually, I believed him. Somebody raised him right. That's what happened. Somebody raised him right. That's it, guys. That's what we have to do. I know people say, is it too late? Let me tell you the truth about too late. Screwed or not. Humans are so adaptable. We are so adaptable to situations. As long as we are alive, it's not too late. You can look at tyrannies that rose over and over and over again. Some of them lasted centuries, but they always collapsed eventually. And I'll tell you exactly when they collapsed. When people decided, I'm not going to let you do this anymore. I'm not going to let you have my children. I'm not going to let you strip me down to ignorance as to how money works. I'm not like letting you take my skills away from me and my right to learn skills, and I'm not letting you take away my ability to teach them, and I'm not going to let you put my child through 13 years of training, not teaching, and come out unable to do anything. I'll see to it. Even, if, even those of you that have to send those kids to school, you better be teaching them how to do things. I don't care if you're tired when you get home. Your kid's not. They have boundless energy. Go out in the garage with them. Teach them how to build something. Do it. You'll find your energy coming back really fast when you feel you're doing something that actually matters. I'm not gonna let, I'm not gonna let the government tell me to eat food that I know is poisoning all the people around me. 
I'm not going to trust a government who has created a, an epidemic of diabetes and kidney disease with my nutritional advice. I'm not going to trust them. And I know a lot of you already feel this way. And I know a lot of you do try to educate other people about it, other adults. But you know who will listen to you? The children, the youth. That's why they always go after them. That's why all the tyrants always go after the youth. That's why they do so much work in high school and college. Because the mind is able to be formed at that point. Because it's not completely done forming. But you know the advantage of that when you're speaking the truth? As humans, we intrinsically know the truth. The less programming that's already gone in. Because you take any kid that's 12 years old and you explain taxation in the real world to them by giving them the allowance and then taking some of their money back. Do you know what they say? That's not fair. And we have convinced ourselves that's childish to think that way. No. That's the wisdom. That is the wisdom of a child. No, it's not okay for you to take something from somebody else that you didn't earn against their will when they rightfully acquired it. Children understand this intrinsically. Teach them skills. Teach them to be financially literate. Teach them to take care of themselves. Teach them to care about their, their own children before they even have any. Teach them to think of their grandchildren before they even meet their wife or husband. Teach them to teach, think of their great-grandchildren, who they'll probably never know. You want to restore America? That's how you do it. You can vote for all kinds of shit. It won't matter. If voting will ever matter, you're going to have to do this first. The good news? Way easier to do. Your choice and what you do today, when you get done with work or whatever you do, what you do this coming weekend we reach the end of the week, what you do tomorrow, what you say, how well you act and consort with what you say. And don't, don't get me wrong, man. Start with saying it. If you say it long enough, you'll believe it. If you believe it, you'll do it. With that, we're going to wrap up. I really uh, appreciate everybody tuning in to the live stream today. So I hope you guys enjoyed uh, today's show. If you uh, want to catch the video, it was pretty cool. Uh, there'll be a link in the show notes where you can do that. Um, the link will go to YouTube when I first put the show out. And the reason is, uh, even if I was able to live stream to Odyssey today, and because of Internet problems, I wasn't, um, it, it doesn't show up on Odyssey when you live stream. It just shows up during live stream. Eventually, YouTube will take the live stream and it will port over to my Odyssey channel. So when that happens, and it usually takes with a live stream, it takes longer than just a straight video because of back-end processing. So I will change it to the Odyssey channel video in the future, but I can't do that until it exists, so I use the YouTube one until it does. So that's just a little extra behind-the-scenes information that you may or may not care about. Anyway, uh, let me remind you, you like the show and the work that we do, you can always support us by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That is T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Uh, if you go there, you start your shopping there, no matter what you buy, you will help support us. And today's item of the day is one I haven't brought around in quite a while. It is Lakanto monk fruit-based sweetener. Uh, it's basically a monk fruit erythritol blend. Now, monk fruit has been used for thousands of years by, dare I say it, monks uh, as a sweetener. And it has no calories at all. It has a little bit of a fruitiness to it. Erythritol is probably the best um, no-sugar sweetener that we can use in things. 
um, except it does have a little bit of a mint cooling-like thing in the aftertaste. Well, when you take these two and you put them together, you really mitigate the fruity aftertaste and the mint aftertaste. And it tastes, I'm not going to say 100% like sugar, like, you know, straight sugar, but it tastes like 90% like sugar. Um, my favorite is actually the golden. Uh, they have a golden and a white. Apparently they have a true brown sugar now, but I haven't been able to try it. Jake told me about it today, so I'm going to uh, look for that. But I'm going to tell you the number one thing that I do with it. I use it with my teas. And I've gotten really hooked on a tea I've been making a lot lately from my gardens. It's um, it's it's bee balm, big old handful of fresh bee balm, big old handful of fresh lemon balm. Yes, I I eat I, I actually consume comfrey even though the government says it'll kill me. It's about a half a leaf of comfrey goes in there and a, a tip of sage, and then a little bit of mint. And I pour hot water over that, and it's a good tea. It actually with it, and the bee balm is what makes the most of it, and bee balm. Uh, known as wild bergamot. It, it tastes very tea-like. I'm talking like English tea-like. Um, if you've ever heard of Earl Grey, tea, Earl Grey, hot, right, uh, from Captain Picard, uh, Earl Grey has actual bergamot, which is the oil from a citrus that's grown in Italy in it, and that's what gives it that velvety, and it's, it's similar. It's not the same, but it's a very good tea substitute. Uh, but a lot of those flavors don't really come out. But you, like, I make a big 50-ounce uh, French press of it, And I put two teaspoons of the Lakanto Golden in there. And it's not super sweet. It's barely sweet at that because it's a lot of tea. But it makes all those flavors come out. The same way if you're eating like a steak and it's okay, but you put a little bit of salt on it. It doesn't taste salty, but now you taste the flavors more. And that's one of the things I really like about using that. And I use it for a lot of other things. It's all in the write-up. Check it out. And like I said today, we have freaking dialysis clinics on almost every corner now. And uh, I'll be doing an interview with Ken Berry tomorrow. We're going to be talking about type 2 diabetes problems and, and, and a docu-series that Ken is doing on it. Uh, hopefully I'll be live streaming that as well if we get StreamYard's problems fixed. Um, man, like cutting the sugar, even if you're not going to go full on keto, uh, carnivore, whatever, just cut the sugar. Like it will save your life. It will add years to your life. It will add quality to your years. Uh, it's easy. Lakanto is probably the best maker of things like this that I found. And uh, this has been tested by, you know, blood glucose meter testing. A lot of stuff they say, like malatol is and all the diabetic candy and shit, it's terrible for you. It jacks your blood sugar up. I, they're lying. This has been, erythritol and monk fruit have both been tested. They do not move your blood sugar a point. All right. With that, uh, let me also remind you, I, if you want to become a member of the Member Support Brigade, it would make me really happy because it's how I really pay the bills around here. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members, and you can sign up and just check out all the discounts you get. And if you can use a few of those discounts a year, your membership will pay for itself. So do consider becoming a member today. Um, the membership model is what's made this show such that 13 years after I started, I can do a show like I did today. So thank all of you who are members, who have ever been members, and who will become members. I appreciate you. With that, let's go to our song of the day. Remember, I'm doing a few weeks of this anyway. I don't know how many. Uh, where I'm pulling music from one of my Pandora channels, but you won't hear the artist or the genre or whatever it's based on. This is based on an artist. This week's channel is based on an artist. I'm going to give a clue each day along with the song. So the clue that I'm going to give today is this artist, I believe, is highly underrated. And probably every associated artist in my Pandora channel will be better known, and I'll even go all the way, than him. 
So you know it's a person, you know it's a male, and you know it's an individual, not a group. And then your clue is, that's a lot of clues, that every band or artist you hear here will probably have been bigger like on the on the top 40 or whatever than the underlying artist that half of you unless you've heard me play them before you might not even know who it is and I'll give you another clue tomorrow today's song from that channel though is Who'll Stop the Rain by CCR with that it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast Sing a play. Now it's years from home.